0: Welcome to Lavender Dahlia. I'm Jennifer Osler-Bolton, and together we are going to enjoy the freedom of exploring who God created us to be by lifting the veil off of our hearts and bringing to light the authenticity that we've been hiding in the dark. I am so happy that you're here. So let's talk. Have you visited the podcast shop yet? Go to jenniferoslerbolton.com and click on the shop link where you can find the perfect item to showcase to the world that you are a Dahlia. Welcome back to the Lavender Dahlia podcast. I am so excited about today's topic because it is something that I love so, 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 so much. Might be one of my favorite topics in the Bible because it's not actually a topic. It's not something that stands out quickly. In fact, it is easily overlooked. Well, I mean, except for Mother's Day sermons, and even then, the focus tends to be on the unattainable perfection of the Proverbs 31 woman that, in truth, none of us are, but all of us try to be, right? If I'm being honest, she actually hurts my feelings sometimes. <laughs> but aside from her, man, even including her, I love the women of the Bible. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Uh, They stand out. This is a topic. There's books about women of the Bible, Jen. This is nothing new. And you are correct in that. In fact, one of my personal favorite books about the women of the Bible is Bad Girls of the Bible by Liz Curtis Higgs. I met her at a conference years ago and I heard her speak. She is a fantastic storyteller. And if you have not read that book yet, I recommend it. Go read it. It's entertaining and interesting and all the fun things in between. So go grab that. Bad Girls of the Bible. It's really, really good. I also love some really good biblical fiction about the women of the Bible. Those are really fun to read too. And, you know, of course they circle around the obvious female game players in the Bible. We know these ladies, Eve, Ruth, Esther, Deborah, Rebecca, Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, Bathsheba. We also know the women that are named in Jesus' genealogy, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, obviously Mary, mother of Jesus, and we know all about Mary and Martha. So I hear you on this. Women of the Bible are not hidden by any means. It's not some type of secret topic that nobody talks about. But what I love are the smaller moments in scripture because they are so significant and yet so overlooked. So let me tell you why I love this so much. I don't know about you, but sometimes in the big old world of Christianity, I feel like my role is insignificant and sometimes overlooked I mean, you've got the big hitters out there, like Lisa Turkers, Beth Moore, Candace Cameron buray Joyce Meyer, you know, the names that we all know in the Christian world. And then there's us. Like, do you ever feel that way? Is it just me? Like, do you ever feel an urge to do and be more for God, but your efforts feel small and overlooked sometimes? Or like, maybe we're not doing it right? I feel that way sometimes. But I want to use this time together to remind you and me that we are more significant than we realize. What might feel small to us is huge to God, and what might seem to be overlooked is noticed by God. So I want to point out three women who got a quick honorable mention in the Bible, but were necessary to God and his plan. All right, let's start with one woman in particular, Jochebed. This woman's name is mentioned only twice in scripture and only during the mention of a family tree, but she had quite a significant role in God's plan, like a huge role. I'm talking, I have no idea where we'd be today without her kind of role. So let's read where we first meet her in Exodus, way back in the beginning, Exodus chapter two, verses one through 10. I'm going to read these to you here says verse 1 there was a man from the family of levi who decided to marry a woman from the tribe of levi she became pregnant and gave birth to a baby boy the mother saw how beautiful the baby was and hid him for 3 months she hid him for as long as she could after 3 months she made a basket and covered it with tar so that it would float then she put the baby in the basket and put the basket in the river in the tall grass the baby's sister stayed and watched to see what would happen to the baby. Just then, Pharaoh's daughter went to the river to bathe. She saw the basket in the tall grass. Her servants were walking beside the river, so she told one of them to go get the basket. The king's daughter opened the basket and saw a baby boy. The baby was crying and she felt sorry for him. Then she noticed that it was one of the Hebrew babies. The baby's sister was still hiding. She stood and asked the king's daughter, Do you want me to go find a Hebrew woman who can nurse the baby and help you care for it? The king's daughter said, yes, please. So the girl went and brought the baby's own mother. The king's daughter said to the mother, take this baby and feed him for me. I'll pay you to take care of him. So the woman took her baby and cared for him. The baby grew, and after some time, the woman gave the baby to the king's daughter. The king's daughter accepted the baby as her own son. She named him Moses because she had pulled him from the water. Okay, I know the story of Moses is no surprise to you. This isn't a shocker that we know the story about Moses' mother putting him in a basket and sending him down the river. We know this story. But look at how the woman, the mother of this story, is known. A woman. The mother. We don't learn her name for another couple of chapters in Exodus 6, that's in a list of family leaders in Israel, and then we don't hear her name again until Numbers chapter 26 in another list of Israelites. We don't even know that much about her, and yet without her, Moses wouldn't have been Moses. He was close to God. He led God's people out of Egypt. He was handed the Ten Commandments, and he is credited with writing the first five books of the Bible— Although that continues to be debated by scholars and experts, but they do agree that Moses might have written a majority of the books, but question whether or not he wrote it all. Either way, God needed Moses to be a part of this process. But enough about Moses. We know Moses. What about that quick nod to his mother? The faith that she had to have in God that he was going to protect her baby. She had no idea what would become of her sweet three-month-old baby boy, and yet her decision to trust God fulfilled something larger than life itself. Without her, what would we have now? Her mention is so quick in the Bible, so easily overlooked because we're telling the story of Moses, but she is a key player into this part of God's plan. So even though she got a quick honorable mention— Her story and her life and her action is full of honor. And she's not the only one. Let's go to another quick mention, but a really important woman of the Bible, Anna. Okay, so we first meet Anna in Luke chapter 2, when Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to be presented to God. She was there with Simeon, who was a godly man, who was led to the temple by the Spirit to be a witness of the promised Messiah. So let's read Anna's quick mention in Luke chapter two, verses 36 through 38. It says, Anna, a prophetess was there at the temple. She was from the family Phanuel in the tribe of Asher. She was now very old. She had lived with her husband seven years before he died and left her alone. She was now 84 years old. Anna was always at the temple. She never left. She worshiped God by fasting and praying day and night. Anna was there when Joseph and Mary came to the temple. She praised God and talked about Jesus to all who were waiting for God to free Jerusalem. Okay, so clear facts here. Anna was a female prophet, a longtime widow, and she was very clearly faithful. But there is a small detail that is easily overlooked when we just read right through this verse 38, it says that she praised God and talked about Jesus to all those who were waiting for God to free Jerusalem. What is the big deal about this little mention? She was the first one to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah to everyone. Simeon anointed baby Jesus, but it was Anna who first shared about the Messiah. This might look and sound like a quick mention, but this is a huge deal. God used Anna to be the deliverer of this good news, and as a female prophet, she was given divine inspiration by God. And this was during a time when women were not regarded as holy or honored. Back then, women were most likely illiterate as they were not taught by rabbis and were separated from men in private, public, and religious life. They were allowed to enter the temple, but were restricted to designated areas, and they were not allowed to participate in public prayer at temple. So the fact that God chose Anna to be the first to tell everyone that the Messiah had arrived showcased her faithfulness and his awareness of her importance. What would the story have looked like if Anna were not part of it? All right. So, this next lady of the Bible is not necessarily unknown or an honorable mention. We actually know her quite well. But the story we know most about her isn't the one I want to talk about today. It's the latter part of her story that seems to be overlooked sometimes, and it's really significant. Mary Magdalene. I know, she's a classic. I was with a girlfriend the other day, and she said, I love Mary Magdalene. She's my favorite woman of the Bible. So we know who this is. This is no surprise. So let's get to her story. Jesus met her when he was going through some small fish towns and he cast seven demons out of her, and she supported him financially and followed him for the remainder of his earthly ministry. And there's some confusion about whether or not it was Mary Magdalene or Mary of Bethany who poured perfume on Jesus' feet, but regardless. Neither of those stories are the focus today, because we know for certain that Mary Magdalene stayed with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, his crucifixion, his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. All four Gospels share this important detail about Mary Magdalene, and it is read and acknowledged time and time again, but there is a significance that gets lost during that Easter Sunday sermon. So let's read it. Matthew 28 verses 1 through 11. The day after the Sabbath day was the first day of the week. That day at dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other woman named Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord came from the sky, and there was a huge earthquake. The angel went to the tomb and rolled the stone away from the entrance. Then he sat on top of the stone. The angel was shining as bright as lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The soldiers guarding the tomb were very afraid of the angel. They shook with fear and then became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus, the one who was killed on the cross. But he is not here. He has risen from death as he said he would. Come and see the place where his body was. And go quickly and tell his followers, Jesus has risen from death. He is going into Galilee and will be there before you. You will see him there. Then the angel said, now I have told you. So the women left the tomb quickly. They were afraid, but they were also very happy. They ran to tell his followers what happened. Suddenly, Jesus was there in front of them. He said, Hello. The women went to him and, holding on to his feet, worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my followers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. The women went to tell the followers what a moment right one of my favorite things to read so much hope so much excitement happening in this one little bit of scripture but did you catch the detail i mean it's not hidden it's as plain as day but the significance gets lost after we read these scriptures she was one of the first to receive the news that jesus resurrected and one of the first to spread the good news she her Mary Magdalene, a woman of zero significance in that time period. She was chosen by God to be the recipient and the deliverer of the good news. She was, essentially, one of the world's first evangelists. Eleven of Jesus' closest friends, his disciples, his bros, you know, his besties, they didn't stick around for Jesus. They couldn't handle the ugliness of his torture, crucifixion, and death they didn't stick around to see if he would rise again. They didn't revisit the tomb. They didn't come back to help prepare the body. God knew who he could reveal himself to, and he knew who he could trust with the news of his resurrection. God knew that the hearts of Mary Magdalene and the woman with her were open, receptive, willing, and able. He recognized their courage to stay with him when the rest of the world looked away. He chose her. This is huge, and it gets quickly read as we hurry to get past this part and onto the part where Jesus reveals himself to his followers and gives them the charge to make believers of the world. But in that small detail, that's not really small at all, we see that God saw her. You know, With all of these women that we read about and their place in God's plan, we know that God needs each of us in every single detail. Nothing about us is insignificant. And I get it. I know. Trust me. In today's world of social media, it's so easy to compare ourselves to the big names, the well-knowns, and the do-gooders of the Christian world that we end up losing sight of our role in God's plan. We watch people climb ladders of leadership, headlining conferences and concerts, leading Bible study groups, writing devotionals, hosting retreats, all sorts of things. And we think that we need to be at that same level in order to make an impact. Well, let me remind you about a woman whose faith gave us Moses. One decision that she made changed all of humanity. And we don't know her name for another four chapters of the Bible, And truthfully, if you read too fast, you're going to miss it. And let me remind you about a woman who was alone and spent decades praying and worshiping God in restricted areas of the temple without praise for her faithfulness. God chose her to tell the others about the Messiah. And let me remind you about a woman rescued by Jesus and was at his side for the remainder of his earthly ministry— who was then falsely labeled as a prostitute by medieval writers of the Middle Ages. God chose her to tell the others that Christ had risen. And let me remind you about you, a woman chosen by God to be the details of his plan. God used those women as messengers and deliverers of his word and good news. And you may not know it now, but you are being used in the exact Same way. We are part of the bigger picture and we are so honored by God. Seriously, the way He sees us and declares trust in our spirituality is something that not even men can understand. This is no insult to men, obviously. Man was created first and has a prominent role in God's plan and promises. And I'm thankful for those men who hear God and act on His word. But when reading the Bible, oftentimes we can see that it was the women who were most appreciative of Jesus's work and teachings. And I don't think that's a mistake that's pointed out in this Bible. God wants us to know that he speaks to us so intimately and he uses us so powerfully. He knows he can trust us. He can use us and he knows we will hear him. So there's this website that I absolutely love. It's habad.org, so that's c h a b a d.org and it's a website with the most in-depth information about Judaism and Jewish culture. So you may not know this, but for 23 years I worked in a pediatric office with one of the greatest men I've ever known, Dr. B. I love him so much and we had a predominantly Jewish demographic. I respect the Jewish community deeply. And uh, I'm just going to put this out there. I'm still waiting for an invitation to Passover. But anyways, I came across an article on Chabad.org, and I loved what Rabbi Aaron Moss of Australia wrote about women and God. Pay attention to this, ladies. Women are more soulful than men. Women are more sensitive to matters of the soul, more receptive to ideas of faith, and more drawn to the divine. The feminine soul has an openness to the abstract and a grasp of the intangible that a male soul can only yearn for. God told Abraham, the first Jewish man, whatever Sarah your wife tells you, listen to her voice. She was the greater prophet. Her soul was more intuitive than his. Men have stronger bodies. Women have stronger souls. Men have bigger muscles. Women have deeper feelings. The Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, it gives men more physical mitzvahs, which are commandments that tame the body and give extra power. Women don't need this help because although men can jump higher in the air, women reach higher into the heavens. You are not an honorable mention. You are not just a name on a family tree. You are necessary to God's plan. Your story may not be in the Bible, but generations from now, your name will be found in the miracles of God. Without you, his plan is incomplete, but with you, he can change the world, one small detail at a time. Thank you for sharing this time with me. I hope you feel encouraged and are filled with courage to see yourself the way that God sees you. You are so many beautiful things. That's why there's a flower named after you. Make sure to subscribe to Lavender Dahlia for podcast updates and episodes and visit jenniferoslerbolton.com to join the Lavender Dahlia email list. Until next time, my heart is hugging yours. I'll see you soon.